we didn't casually come in through the door, okay? I drove for two hours and 47 minutes uh, and add on another 20 minutes for a chalk eye stop. Uh, so I, I crawled up the steps in the dark and I thought, where the hell is this? And of course, we, we all knew this was part of the setup. Uh, it's in a fairly basic facility. Um, it could not be described as luxurious. If I was being persnickety, I'd be rating it 1.7 stars out of five. Uh, but the company was great. Uh, the food was copious, plentiful and really good. Uh, the activities were fantastic and we did TED Talks. Every night we did TED Talks because the local pub was called TED's. And uh, so the whole package, uh, uh, it actually turned out to be incredibly comfortable. And yeah. there was um, uh, quite a wonderful sense of community uh, created over the two days by some really skillful facilitating. Welcome to Focus, an audio series from Kolov, the Association of Return Development Workers and Volunteers. I'm your host, Mark Malone. In the series, we take a very look at issues and themes around global inequality and talk to people involved in different ways in challenging inequality and injustices wherever they are. Pat, um, I would have started off as a GP and did high volume practice for my first 10, 10 or 12 years. Uh, then I branched into academic practice and involved myself in uh, teaching GPs and also in research. Uh, my research interests would on chronic disease management, end-of-life care uh, and overweight um, and uh, and now I'm moving on towards you know what's probably going to be my last third of my career and global health seems to me to be a really pressing important issue and I think a lot of us in Ireland uh, are positioned to help and want to help uh, and this course is a, a really enabling experience. The voice you just heard there was Dr Brendan O'Shea. He's a GP from Newbridge and like myself he's on Ackard Island. We're both here as part of a two-day workshop entitled International Health and Development Training for Healthcare Workers. In a few minutes you'll hear from Neob Naveenan around why are we on Ackle Island and what actually the workshop is about. But first of all, I speak to one of the other organisers, Jermyn O'Donovan. I run a global health and development course for medical students that Maeve and I have been running for the last 10 years. Um, this came from students asking uh, colleagues and myself to talk about issues and working in developing countries because increasingly students are interested in this. So when I first came back here uh, to Ireland about 17 years ago, uh, we started offering optional talks on a range of health and development related issues. And it turned out that at certain times up to 70% of the class were coming to these optional things. And we can't get that proportion coming to some things that people should come to. So when the curriculum was revamped in Galway, um, I put in a proposal to have a, a, an optional module on this. And for some reason it came out of the meeting where all the decisions were made saying every student should do this. So we now have it as core. So every student does health, global health and development um, in third year. And we have an optional course that they do in fourth year where we do more on healthcare in resource poor settings. And since we started, that, that one takes it a bit further and talks about the practicalities of working in resource poor settings as opposed to the global issues. Yeah. Um, so we started, uh, a lot of the people that teach on this come from outside. So we have different people every year, depending on who's, who is available and who's around, who has different kinds of experience. Maeve had brought a couple of groups through her NGO here to do some yeah. basic pre-departure training here. 
So we thought about could we build on that to do something that was more specific to those students. So we worked with the people in the hostel and who are linked into Mayo Mountain Rescue to look at you know, issues around like the side of a mountain anywhere is resource poor. So what are the basic things that you have to think about, about managing somebody who's not well? Um, and what are the planning things you have to do? And what are the issues of you know, teamwork that you have to get in place when you may not know people and that there are elements of culture and other things that you need to pull into that? So we just, we've just built something based on that that we've, we change a little bit every year. But um, th that core side of the mountain thing is very important. This is a resource poor place in some ways. This is one, you know, we're on the western seaboard in one of the most deprived places in Ireland. Um, it's beautiful, um, but a lot of people here are very poor. Um, the GP here is you know, very busy. The GP, uh, when we can, one of the GPs comes in to talk about you know, healthcare here um, and you know, the issues that they have to deal with, the distance from a hospital, the, how long it takes an ambulance to come, all those sorts of issues, and the kinds of things that they'd have to do that GPs in towns and, or you know, more urban parts of the country or places that are closer to big hospitals might be able to, to you know, they'd be able to call for help in a different way. Um, and a core part of it is that we take everybody away and people, you're, you're not, you can't leave to go shopping, you know, there's nowhere else to go. Um, and it also just enables people to just think about being somewhere different and how they re react to being living with people from different backgrounds and living very close proximity. Many people won't have slept in bunks or in a hostel. Some people never at all. Mm -hmm. So not that that's what living or working in a resource poor setting necessarily means, but it's, it just helps think about a whole range of different issues. I had always been interested in outdoor skills, resilience, how communities get themselves together and travel. Um, but I stayed very much in a career pathway that kept me here. But where we crossed paths was through um, when I became in, in, interested in community development um, in the international side of it. Um, I met him at a conference and both of us had um, a joint interest in, in student education in NUI Galway. Um, so we were initially looking at it very much from the focus of the undergraduate clinical student um, that if they have early exposure to global health and what development education is about, they may consider a different way of practicing that uh, would serve their communities uh, more effectively. Because we know if we introduce students at a young age, at an earlier age in their careers uh, to these ideas, they are more likely to consider areas that are considered harder to serve in, uh, rural areas, um, urban areas that have more um, um, poverty-related issues. So it was, I suppose we crossed paths at how we would um, um, develop the curriculum for, stu for students, for undergraduates. Um, additionally, both of us have had exposure with um, teams that we work with as um, clinicians and health workers um, in the international arena um, through random engagements with um, charities and non-governmental organisations. Um, so it, it was really it came from lots of different perspectives to, to put this together um, as, a, as a curriculum that might help both the, the learner doing global health and development for the first time um, or somebody coming back to it at a later stage in their career who's now thinking about um, possibly working or volunteering or making a career out of working in the international um, health sector. 
I think certainly traveling to a different place. So many people haven't been here before leaving the mainland. They think it's very symbolic coming around Clue Bay and across the bridge at Ackle Sound because you're now in a rural remote area. And often if you're thinking about um, volunteering for overseas health work, your placement may often be rural and remote, although it could be urban as well. So it allows you to essentially retreat into an environment that might match what you're thinking of, um, of having as your new environment. Then the centre is very simple. Um, the facilities are shared and the space is shared and the people eat together and there isn't uh, the facilities of a bigger institution or a hotel where people can hide away in different spaces. So there's some automatic mingling. The host organisation, Ackle Outdoor Education Centre and the facilitators um, create a more casual environment and the nature of the tasks on the first day are, are set to get people stimulated and, and going from, from the very outset. Yeah. So it's while there is some programming, there's flexibility around the programming. Yeah. It's, it's funny because we're here usually t twice a year. So if I don't come with this group, we bring a group of educators this time of year and we bring students in the springtime. And there's always the challenge of fitting it into the calendar and packing the bags and getting the kit together for, for teaching. Um, and then, but then there's the renewal. Once you get here, you're all fired up. We traditionally write a letter to ourselves when we're in Ackle, uh, to me, um, and then one of us posts it uh, three or six months at an agreed period later to remind ourselves what we thought when we were here. And I've only opened the letter from 18 months ago, <laughs> recently, because I just wasn't in a space where it was, was the right thing to open. But it does remind you of how you think when you're away. And so many different cultures use retreat as a method or a step back or um, travel or a quiet time um, to, to think about what your priorities are in life and where you think you, you should be going. And this is one of those opportunities. Um, we know that teams that go off-site to do a task together usually innately build into a better team. Uh, so that while the encouragement now for cost reasons and for scheduling reasons is to do most of your training and your work in service with your existing team, we know that you get a different, uh, people are more relaxed, a different team dynamic, the hierarchy can go, um, should it be there in the first place, you know, so the, the team dynamic changes when you go off-site. So coming into an outdoor education centre with beautiful surroundings and lovely seeing water, seeing hills, seeing the sun um, through the, the little drops of rain um, does allow you to, to think more holistically about what you're thinking of doing. It's, it's good for all of us. David Wickliam is the lead of the HSE Global Health Programme. I asked him about the HSE's involvement in weekends like this but also in global health more generally. Within our health service, we have a rich resource of people, more than 100,000 staff with skills, and there are needs in less developed countries. And by setting up a program, we create the possibility that we can facilitate our staff to get involved with other countries to benefit and improve health in those countries. And at the same time, recognizing that by getting involved, it will also benefit our own health service because we can learn from other countries. Yeah. Our staff, by getting involved with other countries, will gain new skills. And by helping other countries address their health problems, we actually will be helping address our own. And Ebola was a good example of that in, in reality in, in 2014 when 
an epidemic in West Africa that posed a threat to health in Ireland was actually solved by addressing the problem in West Africa. And that was to our benefit in Ireland as much as putting protective measures in place in Ireland. So for a variety of reasons, having a global health programme is very good for our health service, for our staff, and hopefully for the countries we work with. Health is very complex, and delivering health services is very complex. And if we're going to be effective in working with other countries, we need to understand not just what happens at the point of care, if we're health professionals, we might provide care in a certain location, but behind that, there's a whole lot of things that have to work together in order for that healthcare to be effective. And that's true in our health service, as would be true in any country. And we talk about the health system and the health system being all of those interconnected activities and elements that together work together to enable healthcare providers to provide good care that then leads to good health outcomes for people. And if you're a health professional working perhaps in a hospital, you see the health system from within a hospital and it's much broader than that. And if you then are to go to another country, a less developed country, and maybe again you would be working in a hospital, if you are going to have real impact, it's very helpful and I'd say important to have some understanding of the wider health system. Because you can go out as a health professional and perhaps provide a clinical service or maybe train someone to provide that service. But that person may be working in an environment where they don't have functioning equipment, where there aren't enough staff actually to provide services, where there isn't even running water, soap to wash your hands. And so you might think you're doing good and, yeah, and achieving some good by what you do with, with working with certain people, but actually when you go, the services aren't any better because of there's so many limitations in the system. And so people, we want people, if they're going to get involved, and we think it's good they get involved, to understand a little bit of the complexity of, how they're, of what they're working in, so that what they do has a lasting benefit. It's not just what they can do as a providing clinical care like they might in Ireland, but how they can make contributions that can help make the system within the country they're working in a better system so that it will continue to provide a better service. For decades, Irish health professionals have been involved with working in less developed countries. And in fact, many people during their training or after their training spend time, have spent time in a less developed country, come back to Ireland and then end up working in the health service. So they have an interest and people have been doing it. I think what's not been there has been an organised approach by the health service for people to get involved. And why that's come about, I, mean, I, can, I can give a personal perspective on that of having worked before I came into the HSE working with the government aid programme and recognising that a big part of what our government gives in aid is in the area of health. And within the aid programme, which is in the Department of Foreign Affairs, I was the only technical specialist in health, supporting one to 200 million euros annually of funding going into health. And it occurred to me that really, if we want to 
have a stronger aid programme be effective in health, we need to be able to draw on some of the expertise that is available in Ireland, but those people are working in the health service, and how can we tap into that? And then I move from Irish aid into the health service. So from the other side then, I would pursue that, that the possibility, the potential to somehow get people involved in supporting what we're doing in the aid programme. It started off at the, the middle of the recession and it wasn't very easy to facilitate people getting involved in overseas work. There were huge pressures on our own health service. As the situation has improved a bit, the opportunities have, have opened up more. One thing that's been really helpful is in 2010 an agreement and memorandum of understanding was signed between the HSE and Irish Aid. And that's a very, very important framework for the HSE being involved. And on one hand, it provides a mechanism for our health personnel to contribute to the aid programme on request from them. And that could be working in some of countries in Africa where Irish Aid is involved, or it could be at an international level. But it also situated our work in the HSE within a policy context in relation to international aid and development that we could use to facilitate people getting involved in a way that was good aid practice. Because just because you've good intentions to work with other countries doesn't mean that necessarily what you do will be best practice. And we've, I feel it's very important if people get involved that what they do is, is good practice, that it's good for the countries they go to, and that we understand how to, how to achieve that. And that really leads to why we have a, a workshop like this weekend, that we want people to get involved, but it's really important people understand how to get involved in a way that's, that's good for the, for the countries that we go out to. So over the weekend, there was a series of talks and workshops, but a lot of open spaces for people to kind of bring their own kind of ideas, to talk about their experiences and learning around healthcare in resource-poor settings. I asked Maeve around the structure of the weekend and why it was built the way that it was. So there's different ways that we can um, look at development education and in simplest terms, is it top-down, you know, going in at regional or national level and then drilling down to the, the, the in-country regions and out to the districts? Or do you start at dist district level uh, with, with the, the communities themselves identifying where they want and need, where they identify they need to go and how we can partner with them to see if we can jointly um, um, move in a direction that they, they want to go in. So it's back to the ethics around uh, development and the whole concept of we all author our own development so I think by the fact that um, we work in outside the metropolitan area in a rural setting in, in the west of Ireland, we've already chosen to work in, to, in areas where there's more integration within the community, there's more visibility within the community. And when you translate that into your international work, you often have that perspective that you can work with governments, you can work with ministries for health and education and water. But if you're not hearing at ground level what the, the communities are really thinking and wanting and the direction they want to go, then it's not really um, meeting development ethos. Uh, and you might think that you're achieving something, but it might not be sustained by the community. It's human development we're looking at. So first and foremost with the human is, is their, their ability to, to have the autonomy to direct where they go. And then it's the sharing resources, so the ethics of justice that uh, that we share resources to get the best effect for the most. 
Um, so with, I, if, if we were to label it as the ethics of the front line of development, we might not have too many interested parties initially. Um, but uh, once we drill down and realise that our motivations and um, why we want to continue this work, it's, it's fundamentally because we're centred around um, the, the person driving their, their own uh, direction, taking that ownership. And often they just need tiny little bit of injection funding or injection education or, you know, they, they decide what they need to get up and running. Um, and then they can often bottle that and pass it on to the next community. Um, some of it, I suppose, is self-selection. Those that go into health and education, um, and this was advertised within a public organisation, the HSE, have already selected to work in an environment where they're thinking about service. Um, and the, so there's often been a desire from a very early uh, career stage or undergraduate stage that they want to do this type of work, but they know, never know exactly when to get off the conveyor belt to do the work. And then life overtakes events with family commitments. So we often see a cluster of those early in their career who are interested and they will do something early in their career. And then there's a gap during the reproductive years and rearing children or establishing careers. And uh, for those that have um, a long career pathway, they might be afraid to leave the, the more traditional approach until they're more established. And then we see those in peri-retirement thinking about they still have energy, they still have skills, they'd like to contribute, but they feel that they've done enough in this health system and perhaps they've some transferable skills for another health or education system. Um, it might also be the international workforce, uh, that there's a lot of international health workers in Ireland and we've that curiosity to go and visit where they are, whether it's in Eastern Europe or whether it is in Southeast Asia, whether it's in Sub-Saharan Africa or the Arab world. Um, and it might also be with our patients coming in with different um, um, medical disorders and diseases because of the global nature of uh, life and travel and medicine. I wanted to get the view of some of the organisers' perspectives on the relationship between health, both locally and globally, and some more structural problems such as inequality, power, wealth differentiation. Poor health is usually related to some other structural inequality in some way. Um, and there's all kinds of political and social things that influence our health. So inequality is a, a huge part of this. And when you start looking at health globally and you see on one side, you see that things are getting way better, but there's the gap in some parts and in some, for some issues is actually getting wider. And it, it's becoming more and more obvious that it's inexcusable and unacceptable and it, it, it's a way to look at all sorts of issues about rights, you know, discrimination, you know, equality, rights, ethics all intersect and healthcare professionals need and all do study aspects of ethics, not very much about rights although that's going to be a requirement in future. Uh, the, so I mean, we need to understand much more about inequality and addressing inequality and this sort of thing just lends itself to making that a, you know, a core part of it rather than explicitly saying we're going to talk about inequalities today and then that's inequalities covered. I mean if we look at the, the health problems in the world, the health situation, one of the most fundamental features of it is, is inequality that health is different in different countries and poor countries experience worse health. And then further than that, there's this great inequity where the resources that are available for health and healthcare in the world are concentrated in the countries that have the most resources and where people are healthiest. And if that 
health is going to be improved, somehow there has to be an element of confronting the problem of inequality. And, and that must translate into the way we work with countries. And we talk about partnership, and partnership is a word that's really important to me in everything we do in working with other countries. And the Millennium Development Goals had one goal about partnership. And now the Sustainable Development Goals, one of the Goal 17 is, is about sustainable partnerships. So the international community recognises that working in partnership is very important. But a lot of what happens in practice isn't what I would consider real partnership. And so what's really important for us as HSE and, and our staff working with other countries is we approach our work in the spirit of partnership, which is based on equality, that we are equal, that we're not going in as the experts telling others or showing others how to do it, but that we go into working with other countries with an attitude of us having our needs and challenges in the same way they have their needs and challenges. And that by working together as partners with a common interest around better health for people, that we can together figure out and work on solutions that will benefit both countries and it's not just one way. Yeah. And going in like that changes the dynamic and a lot of times the, the problem of these power relations is there because often the countries from the north like Ireland come into the development south with lots of resources and resources give you a lot of power. And one of the features about the way we work is we don't go in with money, we go in with our skills. And so we can go in and say to people, well, we're not giving you any money, but we're happy to share what we know and have learned with you to work together to address some of the solutions or to some of the problems that, that, that you experience. And that really helps uh, in terms of you find the right people and to work with, people who really want to, to change things for the better. And it also takes the pressure off trying to deliver results very quickly because change takes time. And sometimes when you come in with money for projects, projects have timelines and you've got to produce results quickly. And that sometimes puts pressure to produce results and that pressure sometimes comes from the party that's got the money. And so you might deliver your project, but after the project is over, it's not necessarily going to be sustained because you don't, haven't brought everybody with you or haven't embedded change in what you're doing. So the, the partnership approach is a way of working that is about long-term committed relationships to work together with a shared vision uh, to address an agreed way to address the, the health needs that are, that are there. Where I have a concern is, is the issue is really around the inequality and that I don't see that inequality is decreasing. And we see both in countries of the north and the south that as countries are developing and at a macro level making socioeconomic progress, that the gap between those who have a lot of resource and those who have very little is increasing and to see how much of the world's wealth is concentrated in the hands of so few people. And to see, and to see big companies like Facebook and Amazon that are now worth trillions. I mean, this is these incredible amounts of resources that actually are owned by a very small number of people. And, 
and somehow that's acceptable and I think that's worrying in terms of seeing how we're going to achieve this goal of leaving no one behind if we're quite if the, if the world is comfortable with the idea that small numbers of people can amass huge amounts of wealth because the amount of wealth is finite it's not being shared well enough around and although people have come out of extreme poverty that just means they're moving from living on one dollar a day often to two dollars a day there are still so many people living at what really is still extreme poverty it's just that it's they're above that threshold that we we defined of which is so low and i think we see within countries a shift in thinking to see that to put our own countries first rather than see that to work in global solidarity is best for everyone and when countries are acting in self-interest i think that's going to cause problems because the way really if you are concerned about yourself and your own country it's by working with other countries to improve help them improve their needs to address their needs is actually going to ultimately help you you've been listening to focus an audio series from colo the association of return development workers and volunteers 